from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for February 16th, 2024. Check in the calendar. The Cedarburg Winter Festival is this weekend, and there's always Beer Fest at Kelly's Bleachers. It's a fundraiser for youth baseball. The NBA All-Star Game is this weekend with Giannis, Damian Lillard, and Doc Rivers, and the extremely hot Milwaukee Admirals are on the road all next week. Let's start with good people of Tampa, Florida. Well, we've been puzzled by low-frequency drumming sounds coming from the Gulf. If you guess black drum fish having sex, you're a winner. <laughs> and we're and we're right in the middle of their winter mating season. I guess that's how they keep warm. Scientists are dropping microphones in the water to listen, and how creepy is that? Can't those fish have a little privacy? Well, Elon Musk, the master of public relations disaster, strikes again. Tesla Cybertruck owners are saying the stainless steel Tesla pickup truck is rusting. You can't even park it in the rain. The rust is eating away at the stainless steel body, and that's not a good look. But what do you want for $100,000? In keeping with Tesla theme, the rapper Snoop Dogg says he needs a Tesla, to which Elon Musk replied, buy your own. Master of public relations strikes again. And finally, this one will get you to upgrade your next flight. A Delta flight this past Tuesday was forced to turn around after an hour in flight. Why? Because maggots fell on passengers from a bag overhead that also contained rotting fish. The overhead compartment was in the economy section. Oh, Stuart is. On the podcast today, we have Dave Sandstrom, Adam Bailey, and wrapping up the week, here's Joel Driesang. Thanks, Max. Let's take a look at the numbers for the week. Uh, a little trimming of the sales here for the stock market. The NASDAQ uh, was down 215 points this week, or 1.3% to close at 15776 the S&P 500 uh, was down 21 points this week that's 0.4% to close at 5006 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 43 points or 0.1% to close at 38628 on the bond market the US Treasury the 10 year uh, ended the week at 4.3% that's up 0.11 percentage points from where it ended last week. Uh, well, we ended last week's show with Kyle uh, Tedding saying that we would talk this week about the uh, Super Bowl indicator. Uh, so why don't I just start off with that? So the Super Bowl indicator is something that a sports writer came up with in 1978. And um Essentially, what it is is this. It says that if an NFC, National Football Conference team, wins the Super Bowl, the stock market is likely to go up that year. If an AFC team wins, then stocks are going down. Well, at, in 1978, that had been true 100% of the time. Um, up until last year, it was accurate 72% of the time. And over the last 20 years, it's been accurate 30% of the time. Um, so it's just another reminder of one of those things that uh, that, that people kind of uh, 
assigned to have some significance to how stocks and how the markets are doing. But as we always talk, it's it's all about earnings and interest rates, right? So let's talk about first uh, interest rates. What We had some developments this week with um, the consumer price index and, and, and inflation reports. And Dave, do you want to talk a little bit about what interest rate news we had this week and how the markets reacted? Well, Joel, I think everybody kind of saw earlier this week we had some uh, of the inflation numbers kind of surprised to the upside. You know, I think there was a pretty good consensus that inflation was declining at a, at a more rapid rate. And, of course, uh, what we're seeing from investors both in the bond market and stock market really anticipating some rate cuts coming from the Fed. So with the increase in the inflation rate expectation, uh, that carries with it also an expectation that possibly the Fed is not going to be cutting rates as soon as markets had anticipated. Um, so we did see the 10-year uh, Treasury back up a little bit. We saw stocks, stocks sell off pretty aggressively there, although we followed that up with a couple of winning days uh, in, in both markets. But I think the lesson there is, you know, don't, don't anticipate things uh, and bet with your, with your pocketbook. I think that kind of even goes to your story about the Super Bowl indicator. Right. And, Adam, um, it also gets to another thing that is said around here a lot, and that's don't fight the Fed, right? Yeah, don't fight the Fed. I mean, they have been clear in what they have been communicating so far this year. I remember past shows that we've done um, just in the last few weeks, few months, uh, we've talked about a few times that uh, when we started out this year, the market was expecting six or seven rate cuts this year. But the Federal Reserve, by their own anticipation, thought maybe one or two. Uh, so on, on Tuesday, you really had to see the market digest in real time and come to the realization that, that the Federal Reserve is likely to be true to their word and keep rates higher for longer, in part because the inflation numbers justify it. It came in a little hotter than expected. And it's also a reminder to me, the lesson is that progress is not in a straight line. We are going to have our fits and our starts, and there will be months and readings where inflation will be a little higher than anticipated and followed up by readings down the road, maybe a little lower than anticipated. Just a reminder that uh, progress on inflation is never expected to be in a straight line. And that consumer price index reached 9.1% in June of 2022. That was the highest it had been in like 42 years. And it went down every month after that because the Fed was getting aggressive with with raising interest rates. Every month it went down up until uh, June of 2023. And ever since then, it's bounced around. It's been bouncing between 3% and 3.7%. So it went down to 3.1% in January from 3.4% in uh, in December, but um, it's still kind of within that range, and it's it's like you say, Adam. It's you know, getting down to that three point seven, three and a half percent range might have been the hard, the easy part of the work, and now it's harder to get it down below that. That's a great point, Joel, because I think you're right. Ringing out this last one and a half percent that the Fed's uh, trying to get out of the system, or one percent to get to that two target, is going to be difficult because really the remaining piece of this is housing. I mean, a big, big chunk of what's left to try to wring out of the system is is that elevated housing inflation number. And and historically, that's been a difficult one to move. And historically, that's been one of the most sticky of all of the inflation numbers to move. Because uh, take a step back and think about how the inflation, the, the housing inflation gets in, into there. It's something called owner-occupancy equivalent rent, which is a nebulous concept in and of itself. But essentially, like if you own your own home, what would it cost to rent it? And 
um, you know, speaking of, of renting, um, you know, people, you know, set their leases uh, for one year or two year, and then they use that expectation and they go into their boss and say, you know what, uh, my rent's now up 10, 15%. I need a raise to accommodate what I know is going to be higher rent payments for the next year or two. And that's one of the reasons why the, the housing costs are likely to be pretty sticky from here on out. You know, I've uh, read some things that say that uh, other sorts of surveys that say that rent uh, rents are actually coming down. There's a, a study by Rent.com and um, looked even at the Milwaukee area and said that rents seem to have already hit a peak and they're they're going to be going down. But we're not seeing that reflected yet in those government figures that came out this week. There was a, a government report on Friday that looked at. Um, housing starts and building permits. And that's showing that um, we've had uh, housing under construction at a record level. So going back to 1970, it's it's been at a record level now for uh, months and months. So uh, one of the beliefs is that as that housing comes online, that's going to help the supply issue for the housing market. And, and that's going to help the pricing as well. Let's talk a little bit about um, earnings. Um, corporate earnings were about what seventy five percent through the the uh, the corporate reporting season for the fourth quarter of twenty twenty three. How's it looking so far? Yeah, three quarters of the way through, uh, looking pretty good. Um, you know the the earnings estimates. Um, you know for forward looking for all of this year. Now that we're really in the first quarter of this year and we're completing fourth quarter earnings to get a sense on what businesses made at the end of the year and more importantly what they anticipate making for all of this year, we actually have a really good handle on what earnings growth is likely to be this year. And you start adding up all of the earnings growth numbers for all of this year, uh, it could be somewhere between 10 and 12% higher than what was a decent year last year. Candidly, some of those earnings numbers feel a little bit too rosy, and they're probably going to get have to get walked back. But even if you walk a 12% number back to 9 it's still pretty good. And like you said, it all goes back to earnings and interest rates. We were talking about interest rates before um, and also as it relates to inflation. But the other interest rate we pay attention to is the 10-year treasury, right? The 10-year treasury as of this afternoon, I think right around 4.3%. So still historically low borrowing costs for people and for businesses. And then corporate earnings. Corporate earnings are expected to rise maybe somewhere around 10 to 12%. So still a relatively healthy environment for long-term investors. I think, Adam, uh, important to remember that the you know, long-term average on, on corporate earnings you know, is in that you know, roughly 8% range. And so to th- anything above that is going to be supportive, I think, for, for stock markets uh, going forward. And if you add with that you know, some of that support uh, as well as the, the health of the consumer, you know, we're, we're still in a very, very tight uh, employment situation where the consumers feel pretty uh, motivated to spend. Uh, the, you know, they're, they're getting in their hours and, and those pay increases. So, you know, if we, if we maintain this type of a labor force and this type of a, a strong consumer throughout the year, I think that's also supportive for those earnings numbers because corporations love when you walk in with your wallet uh, full of money. Right. And you pointed out on the show a couple of weeks ago, Adam, that um, – Usually the Fed is to blame when it raises interest rates like this to try to, you know, combat inflation. The the Fed usually ends up doing that too much and causing a recession. And so far, we're still talking about maybe a soft landing where we don't really go into a recession. Not that the Fed is ever going to come out and say, like, we've achieved our soft landing. 
But you look back at what they've accomplished this past year, aggressively raising rates uh, to cool off an overheating economy. They were able to do that without upsetting the labor market and without pushing us into a recession. Um, you look back at Fed history, and it has been very rare that they've been able to accomplish that. And that's got to be com- coming for businesses, right? I mean, uh, if, if they were expecting the Fed to, to push us into recession. I mean, remember a year ago, everybody was saying, oh, yeah, for sure, we're going to have a recession this year. And we didn't. You know, there's still a recession coming sometime or other. But it doesn't look like it's going to be anytime soon. But you, you've got to believe that that's better for businesses to have to not have that hanging over them so imminently and and, um, and thus they can be profitable and, uh, you know, and s- stockholders benefit from that. I think the biggest uh, thing that, that businesses get out of that uh, storyline, Joel, is that they're confident in maintaining their workforce. You know, if there's this constant pressure that we're going to have a recession and businesses start to buy into that, they're going to start tightening that labor force and, and cutting anybody that's in a marginal position. So the fact that there's a, this confidence that that's not going to happen, I think that businesses are going to hang on to people, and you're not going to have that pressure. And they're confident in maintaining their prices. You know, that's one of the things as so many of us, even yours truly, has complained about this past year. So the stuff is more expensive. You go to the grocery store, groceries are more expensive and whatnot. And that's inflationary. Uh, but stop and think for a moment who's on the other side of that transaction, right? It's the grocery store. Um, in the bigger picture, it's the makers of the goods and services we rely on every day. And as uh, input costs have come up, businesses have been able to raise their prices and retain their profitability. And you have certainly seen that in market performance where profits um, and profit margins are still pretty good. I was reading an article today about productivity, too, of, of uh, how the 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 c- pandemic was a game changer and, and, and it caused uh, it forced a lot of businesses to become more productive, to become smarter about how they employed people and and how they had their costs and how they they did their supplying. And um, there's there's a belief that you know we might be headed into a new a new era where there's more productivity and that helps. That helps the business. That helps the economy. That you know, if if the businesses are more profitable, they can pay their workers better, and if they're more profitable, they can pay their shareholders better. And Joel, I think it's critical to remember that there's only two ways to grow an economy, right? Is that's to you know add more workers, or increase their productivity. And we know we have a demographic issue in this country, and we aren't growing our population as quickly as as we need to from a replacement standpoint. So you really have to rely on productivity to increase GDP. Uh, tell me about, uh, you've, I know everybody's been getting a lot of calls this week. It's that time of year, tax season, and a lot of clients are asking questions and stuff. What sorts of conversations are you two having? Um, just a reminder to people on when 1099s are due out. Uh, 1099Rs for retirement accounts, those went out at the end of January. You likely have those by now. But the 1099B slash DIV for taxable accounts, the first deadline was February 15th, so just the other day. The next deadline is February 28th. So just be on the lookout for your 1099 tax reports. They're being prepared, and they're on their way to you soon. Joel, I've been talking to clients a lot about risk. I think with the hype that we have seen regarding the Magnificent Seven and growth stocks and their kind of meteoric rise, 
people, you know, feeling like they're missing out, they want to try to get in on some of this stuff. I think it's really critical for people to understand what the risk premium is and how uh, important it is to understand that difference between a safe investment and what you're going to get compensated for in the stock market. Uh, past 10 years, you were, you were rewarded handsomely for that because interest rates were so low, bond yields were so low, that, that, that premium, the difference between that risk-free asset and the stock market was very, very large. Uh, with interest rates as elevated as they are right now, uh, and stocks likely, you know, kind of seeing a peak here in, in the last year or so, I, I think you have to be careful about the amount of risk you're willing to take right now. So, so higher interest rates are actually helping investors? On the bond side, absolutely. I mean, I think, it, you know, we don't want rates going any higher, of course, uh, because that, that will obviously negatively impact your bond portfolio. But if we level off from here and eventually decline in rates, your bond portfolio is going to see some, some excellent success. Which offers more options. Absolutely. Yeah, it offers more competition, more competition to stocks, which just hasn't been around the past many years. And with money market yields somewhere around 5%, you can get yield on a high-quality bond fund around 5%. That's certainly offering some meaningful competition to stocks these days. And I haven't been able to tell people that they've been paid 5% on cash since like 2004. So... Um, you don't feel shy about holding a little cash in your account because you're finally getting paid to do it. Well, on that note, um, I want to thank uh, Adam and, and uh, Dave and Jason for running the board and Max, as always, for his uh, comical intros. Uh, informative, too, though, Max. Um, and and uh, a reminder that on Monday, uh, the 19th of February, it's President's Day, so the financial markets, the stock markets, the bond markets are going to be closed. So um, don't expect to uh, see any changes in any of those prices on Monday. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, be back again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to Talk at Landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at Landis.com. <laughs>